Greetings book lovers everywhere and welcome back to E-Train Talks. I'm your host E-Train and today I am very excited to introduce today's esteemed guest. <laughs> <laughs> he was a scriptwriter for President Obama. Well, he was a scriptwriter for Joe Biden when he was mm-hmm. vice president. He knows the inner workings of all things in White House. Re- I'm going to start that over. Um, okay, terrific. Yeah. Greetings book lovers everywhere. I'm E-Train and welcome to E-Train Talks. Today, I'm very excited to introduce today's esteemed guest. He was a scriptwriter for Joe Biden when he was vice president. He wrote a fantastic children's book, and he knows all the workings of everything White House related. And his book is called White House Clubhouse. It follows two sisters, the daughters of the first female U.S. president. They miss their home in Sacramento and long for adventure. And adventure is going to find them in a big way. So... That's all I'll that's all I'll say about the book for now. I do not want to spoil anything else because you've got to have something to talk about, right? So let's give it up for the one and only Sean O'Brien. Woo! Thank you, E-Train. Really happy to be here. This is an absolute honor. Yeah, we're all really happy that you're here as well. And we're excited to learn more about the work that you did and your writing as well. So Okay, great. I read that you were a script writer. Um mm-hmm. and what was that experience like? And do you think writing scripts and speeches enhanced your middle grade writing per se, writing stories? Yeah, it, it was um, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, like I you said, I got a chance to write speeches in the, in the White House and, you know, in other places as well. Um, it, but it was always an opportunity to tell stories, really. And so that's the real connection um, between what I used to do and what I'm doing now. A good speech, and I teach this in my class at Georgetown right now when when people are interested in becoming speechwriters, you have to have stories, whether it's a matter of coming up with some kind of interesting bit from history um, or something that you personally experience that shows kind of what motivates you, mm-hmm. or even just an idea of like, how things can be fixed. We saw that this was a problem. So we did that. And now we're doing yeah. this. That's a story. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the jump to, um, you know, writing specifically for middle grade. Another thing I tell my my class, and I'm talking about like 25 year old graduate students here, is you have to write for a fifth grade level at all times. And uh, that means that, you know, kids are sharp. Kids 100% understand um, if you know what you're talking about, if you believe what you're talking about, right? And if you understand it, so it's on you to make them understand it. And if you start using really fancy words and overly long sentences and jargon and things like that, it's not on them to understand this stuff. They're going to get that, hey, maybe you don't get it, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, make the jump then to writing stories for them. I love middle grade. I, I, I've i been enjoying middle grade long before I knew that that was even the term for it. I, you know, like I, I wrote this book uh, with my kids. And then, uh, you know, afterwards I was told, oh, yeah, you're a middle grade writer. I was like, that's a thing? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, now I know the term. <laughs> so it's fun, though. Yeah, and I bet you had a... Just writing speeches for a fifth grade level, in a sense, that's basically you're already ready for middle grade. And I I know that all of us are wholeheartedly welcoming you into the middle grade world. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I know, you know, I just looking at your shelf behind you, E-Train, I know you 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 speak for that world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, and there's some really cool titles up there that, you know, I enjoyed reading with my kids, too. You know, I'm. I'm my uh my younger child claire like she uh uh 
you know, like to have me read to her, uh, you know, at night. And so we would enjoy different books for a long time. Um, and that's how I got kind of back into learning all of these stories. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's the best fiction out there as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And my next question for you is, mm -hmm. as so as previously mentioned, you're a speechwriter currently for the Secretary of the Navy and in past mm -hmm. times for the Vice President, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you mentioned that speechwriting is kind of like writing a story in itself, but did writing an actual book ever be, was it ever a dream of yours before you started script writing or even during the process? Yeah, I, that's well phrased because it was a dream of mine long before I was doing, you know, speeches for a living. Um, and then it remained one while I was working in all of these kind of, you know, fairly intense and, you know, really um, very busy jobs, ones mm -hmm. that would go long into the night, all of this. And there was always, you know, we had this idea you know, my, my kids, uh, you know, Jay and Claire, they'd really come up with a lot of this stuff, even when they were in first grade. And now, you know, yeah. they're in high school and seventh grade. Um, but uh, so it stretched out over a long period of time of just sneaking out to write this stuff when I could and, you know, getting it, getting a chapter in, you know, and then months would go by and then getting another chapter in and all of that. So it was always really just kind of something that I was actually more passionate about, honestly, than the speeches themselves. That was a job. That was a day-to-day -day thing. But the the book was a dream, as you well put it. Um, when I was a kid, I used to dream about writing uh, books as well. Um, you know, my first story was kind of a, uh, uh, a knockoff of Sherlock Holmes. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it was like a short story. And then, you know, in college, I started writing uh, what they call novellas or short novels. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and they weren't kids books, they were, you know, for, for different audiences, but, you know, I never really did anything with them, but it was a great exercise and a great chance to just kind of get some of that stuff out there. And honestly, it was something that made me happy, too. Mm -hmm. uh, don't ever, you know, discount that. It's like, if, if writing makes you happy, it doesn't matter if anybody ever looks at it. It's a chance to get your thoughts out on paper. Sometimes Definitely. with another character, right? So it's not just you, it's it's putting it in the voice of somebody else. Uh, it's a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, and it, you, if you're going to go into a profession like this, it has to make you happy because writing can be really grueling at times. There's deadlines and all that. Sure. But it, and if it doesn't make you happy, then you shouldn't really pursue it in a sense. But Yeah, but, I agree. And yeah. in a way, that's not it's going to translate into your writing, too. You know, like kids, uh, you know, are going to recognize if if you don't believe what you yourself are saying. And this is true when you're talking to a group of people, too, then they're going to pick that up pretty quick. And then they'll think, well, OK, this person doesn't even enjoy writing. Why should I read it? Yeah. And maybe, you know, within the I, I've read books like that where it's just sort of like, you know, and then the first few pages are like, oh, they're not really into this. <laughs> so, you know, can I invest my time into this, too? Right. Yeah. So on top of all of this, you're a professor at Georgetown University in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., so yep. what is your time mentoring and teaching students, well, grad students, but they're still students. How does yep. that taught you? Yeah, you know what, you know, and, and, and you're right, they are still students. Students come of, of, of every age, right? And, you know, this is something that kind of blows kids' minds when I start telling them that, you know, like you never, you never stop learning. Uh, and, you know, that, um, uh, you know, when you get to graduate school, that's, you know, for those who don't know, it's it's it, you go through college, right? And you get your college degree, but sometimes people keep on coming back and learning more things. 
Um, so I saw my mom do it when I was a kid, then I ended up doing it too. So these are students who, you know, maybe they've graduated college and then they've gone on and worked, you know, in careers and then they've come back. Some of them are actually, I have several students who are in the army right now, um, who wow. are going to Georgetown as part of a program. So they're, they're, they're army officers. Um, and, you know, so they're having experiences outside the classroom, but, um, the key thing is they are there because they want to learn. They mm -hmm. want to learn stuff and uh, they're putting in a whole lot of work. They're putting in a lot of reading and then doing their own writing and subjecting themselves to having somebody else criticize them. Me. Right. I, you know, I, I tell them when their stuff is good, but I also tell them when, when it needs work. Um, and that can be really tough. It was tough for me. Even when I was writing this, I ended up having, you know, an outside editor really come and rip my stuff up pretty good because <laughs> you need that. Yeah. But, and E-Train, can I tell you who my toughest editors were? My kids, you know, like having them look at this stuff. Like, of course, yeah. Dad, I don't get this. Dad, this is boring. I, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> and so, you know, that's great. Yeah, and it's great to have kids who are critiquing all your work because it's the directed audience. You've got to have kids there. And it must also be pretty cool for them seeing their own dad, like, write stories that are directed for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, the journey on this thing has been wild because, like, the main characters, uh, Marissa and Clara, originally they were older than my kids and then by the time we got this thing published and out there they're they're younger characters my kids are older so yeah as yeah. we move on to book two it's it's interesting uh you know how the that level uh you know I, i'm gonna need some people to, to kind of set the level for me some some fifth graders take a look <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my next question for you is diving a bit into white house clubhouse itself so how much of your per protagonist time in your debut novel is spent in the past during Teddy Roosevelt's administration, yep. we do catch some glimpses of the characters' lives in the present day as children of the president. So having spent some time with people in the White House, the vice president, mm -hmm. Joe Biden, and subsequently their kids as well, did you take inspiration from their experiences in your own book, or was it mainly from research or from ha having kids yourself? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, as you say, most of it takes place in the past. And so most of that was based on historical research, right. uh, you know, just like reading up. And, and even the whole, the original story uh, and the choice of Teddy Roosevelt was inspired by, you know, we read a book about presidential pets, uh, you know, that, that was uh, just talking about all the different pets that have been in the White House. John Quincy Adams had an alligator, for example. I mean, there have been some other crazy ones in the past, but mostly we're talking about dogs and cats. Right. Then he gets to Teddy Roosevelt, and he had 20. He had 20 pets um, and, you know, six kids. Uh, and, um, you know, and those six kids had rabbits and cats and dogs and ponies and al and, and, and uh, hyenas, uh, badgers, a bear at one point. So wow. that sort of stuff really just kind of sparked our imagination to look at the historical side mm -hmm. and then the issues that came through. So, uh, you know, the issues of how the national parks came to be, how, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was inspired by all that. So you're right. All of that history, reading up, reading books, maybe visiting places, those glimpses you get of the modern time in the White House are a lot more directly pulling from what I saw um in the beginning there's a point where they get into 
uh, a small motorcade, um, which is, you know, not not the super big one you may have seen on TV where the president goes and there's ambulances and just like it's just, you know, 20 cars rushing through the streets. Uh, I when it's a member of the presidential family, like the kids just going to school every day. Yeah, you're really just talking about two cars, maybe a couple motorcycles uh, in the front and the back. And I've ridden in that type of a small motorcade with various different people. Um, and my kids would like growing up in Washington, you know, like you learn, you see a motorcade rushing through the street. It's not necessarily, oh, cool. It's more like, oh, gosh, how long am I going to be stuck here? <laughs> right. Um, so there's a few scenes that are inside the motorcade and there's a point yeah. where, you know, Clara goes counterflow baby. And that there was a staffer on Joe Biden's staff who would always yell that if we started driving in the opposite lane um, in the counterflow. There's another scene during a campaign scene where they're actually in a, an SUV um, as cold rain is kind of melting on the windows outside. And Marissa and Clara are sitting in these little jump seats that face opposite where you know their parents sit and i've sat in those jump seats it's these weird little things that just kind of fold out from the uh the wall of the car um oh, wow. they used to have those same type of things in new york city taxis when i was growing up totally unsafe they would not have them anymore <laughs> but that's how i remember riding around as a kid uh so little things like that that's what i drew from and then the physical descriptions of the white house itself um you know one of the neat things about the job is, yeah, okay, I could walk around a little bit and I could, you know, really take a look at, there's a wooden eagle table that's very important in the plot. Well, I just, you know, looking at it, look at that, that's a cool table. What I wonder what the story is behind that and the panels behind it. And then I found out actually that was put in during Teddy Roosevelt's time. So there was a, a point where we were looking at maybe, okay, well, what if there was a, um, in fact, I'll tell you one thing, uh, E-Train, in the, the jacket of the book, there's something that's inaccurate. My kids called me out on it. Uh, it says that, you know, we used to walk around the White House wondering, hey, what if there was a secret passage behind that table? And then Jay, as soon as they saw the, the book jacket, they said, no, Dad, that was actually the painting of John F. Kennedy that we were thinking there was a secret passage behind. Mm -hmm. But we decided to change it because that is on the tour of the White House. So kids walking through could actually touch that painting, which we don't want people to do. Do not touch the painting, right? So we decided, okay, let's come up with something on the other side of the velvet rope. And so we, yeah. we decided to do the, the wooden eagle table. That's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a neat building. I mean, you're just filled with history at every turn, of course. Yeah, certainly a place of history. And I went for a tour of like a few years ago and mm -hmm. I was just... I remember being absolutely in awe. There's just so much history inside. And I also, I love your choice of president, Teddy Roosevelt. He's super interesting guy, has a ton of history inside of his, inside of the history books. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he was a writer too. Yeah. The guy wrote, like when he was a kid, he was writing histories of the war of 1812, which just blows my mind. And and he was writing natural wow. You know, he was dissecting animals and, you know, and then coming up with whole different things, uh, you know, to, to paint and stuff. So uh, mm. fascinating person. Definitely. And I've been a huge trivia and history buff for like a super long time. And cool. I especially love presidential history and U.S. history. And 
I'm curious, has it always been your dream to work in the political field? I know you have always loved writing stories, mm-hmm. but when you were a kid, were you always invested in historical aspects of our country? And have you always wanted to be close to where the action happens? Yeah, you know, I I, I always kind of was. Um, you know, I, I grew up um, reading a lot of biographies. That was my thing. Um, and uh, I, I always found that really interesting. Um, and visiting, you know, homes of, uh, so we, we used to, uh, we recently got to visit the Hamilton Grange, which is in upper Manhattan. And, you know, uh, my kids are really into it because of the musical. This is, you know, <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda introduced a whole new generation yeah. to Alexander Hamilton. But I remember going there as a kid too. And um, just the idea of these are real people. These were real people who were real kids at one point. Um, and then, uh, you know, went on to do some really interesting things, make some big mistakes too. You know, none of them were, were anywhere near perfect. Um, but uh, I did always kind of want to be, you know, to quote Hamilton in the room where it happens. Um, and I got to work in Congress as a, a um, you know, a chief of staff for a couple different members of Congress um, from Chicago. Um, and that really kind of, you know, helped me see kind of how things work and, and gave me a chance to move the needle just a little bit on, on some things. Um, and then the chance to, to work in the white house, uh, was great. And as you mentioned, you know, working for the secretary of the Navy, you know, you see that words matter and that, you know, what you end up doing with, uh, you know, you, you do have opportunities to make big things happen, but also you can, if you have these jobs, you can make small choices that maybe nobody else even notices that you're making, but you're choosing, okay, you know what? No, we're not going to phrase it that way. We're going to change it this way. We're going to shift the language a little bit. And words are so incredibly important as to how everybody understands everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a dream. Absolutely. And I did get a chance to kind of live the dream for a while. I'm outside of all of that now. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, I, I'm enjoying just kind of, if I can inspire kids to get involved, um, and not just in national politics, great. If you want to do that, that's fine. But there's so many other things, you know, that you can do just kind of locally. Mm-hmm. E-Train, you're a perfect example of that. What you're doing with kindness cards and, you know, and, and the bookmarks and, and all of that is wonderful because what it is, is it's making a difference to somebody that you may never meet. Mm-hmm. You may never meet that person that you've made some kind of a difference to, but it does. And so it's just a matter of just like getting up and doing something, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're certainly inspiring so many to do that. And Hmm. yeah, like you said, it could be national politics, but it could also be writing. It could be just, and it's also a really good fresh breath of fresh air. Just kind of reading about these people that you think of as all like, not real like the president no. you you would think that they're just not a real person especially not some that may have passed away some of that are history you just yeah. think of them as somebody who is above everybody else but they're human as well they started out human they they had lives that might have been rough just like yours and yeah i think it's really helpful to see people in these positions as being mm-hmm. as being flawed you know yeah. so so Teddy Roosevelt, when I was reading about him, um, you know, so here is a guy who accomplished some amazing things. He also made some mistakes. And I don't really get too much into that within the book. But what I do bring up is 
he had a complicated relationship with some members of his family. His daughter, Alice, his, his oldest daughter, um, you know, was born. And then two days later, her mom dies, uh, same time that Teddy Roosevelt's own mother dies. So here he comes home to the same house on 20th Street in Manhattan. Uh, and both his wife and his mother have just both died of completely unrelated separate things. And that's a horrible tragedy. But his reaction to it then was to just head west and become a cow rancher. And, and that sounds really kind of cool and romantic and all that. But then you realize, yeah, but he left this daughter behind. He left this, this baby. Uh, and, you know, then she kind of grew up for the first few years without really knowing her dad. Uh, he, you know, he took care of her money wise. His sister, mm -hmm. you know, raised her. But it was really kind of OK. And then so that kind of colored a very complicated relationship they had their entire lives. Yeah. Uh, and Alice Roosevelt Longworth became this amazing person too, who was also very complicated. Um, you find out about these folks uh, and then you realize that like when somebody like Teddy Roosevelt accomplishes these great things, they never do it alone. They always, uh, you know, are, they have the help of other people with some good ideas. They also have the help of people who help them get through things. Teddy Roosevelt had very severe asthma. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt probably had what we would describe now as ADHD. Um, oh. You know, they didn't have medication for such things back then. Everything, every picture you ever see of Teddy Roosevelt, he's got his fist balled up. Like, he's got some agitation. He's just kind of working to get through. But he persevered. He worked through it with the help of a whole lot of other people. So, yeah, it's that human element that I really get into, that I enjoy when I start reading about. And I think modern biographies are getting a lot better about mm -hmm. talking about that stuff they don't feel the need to elevate somebody into a statue because statues don't talk statues really can't teach you all that much right uh, but stories yeah they can't yeah they certainly can and my next question is more about the white house clubhouse so okay. you've always written for other people you've been a scriptwriter. that's kind of what yeah. the job is but now with your debut book white house clubhouse out you have the chance to show the world your writing, not through the voices of others, but through your own. So leading up to the publishing day, what were the emotions and feelings that kind of went through your head as it all started kind of feeling real? Yeah, there is a couple different stages of, you know, sort of, oh, when does this become real? When does, oh, okay, you know, and, and you know, you, you say, okay, you dream your whole life about, you know, being a published author and everything. You think there's this day that you get published. Well, actually, no, it's okay. Was it the day that I actually finally got an agent to pay attention to me, right? My yeah. agent, Rico Davis, is amazing. And that was a big breakthrough, just having somebody who, who took that interest in me. Was it the point where, you know, a publisher, uh, you know, Norton Young Readers, like, you know, they, they agreed to do it. Was that the big day? Um, you know, publishing day, October 3rd, was obviously great, but it had already progressed to the point where I'd already seen you know, the cover art, uh, this amazing illustrator, Karen Lee, uh, all this, probably for me, the real sort of like, oh my goodness moment was uh, I was in the Norton offices in Manhattan, I think it was April, um, and, um, you know, Simon, a publisher, like, you know, he, he, he pulled out a box of arcs and i know you you're familiar with arcs uh, the, yeah. the, they're, they're the little kind of paperback things that publishers 
when maybe when it's not quite ready for prime time, doesn't have all the pictures, maybe there's some editorial mistakes, but they want to send them around to booksellers and, and folks to just get drum up some interest. When he pulled that box open and it opened it up and I saw my name on the cover of a book. Yeah. I was kind of speechless there for a second. <laughs> and and then Simon laughed. He's like, oh yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um you know yeah you're right you train because like in the in my my you know previous job i did get a chance to have my words reach a whole lot of different people uh you know speeches that were heard by a lot of different people uh editorials that appeared in major newspapers but not with my name uh you know like all of this sort of stuff now suddenly to have my name on the cover of something it's weird you don't like to admit it but that is something else entirely. Um, and it is a little freeing also. Now I'm, you know, of course, I still have my audience. I want to write for my audience. I want to write. That's true. My yeah. editor, my publisher, like you're never just writing on your own. But this is my best shot. I, I, can, I can take my best shot straight to the audience instead of trying to please somebody and, and make it through office politics and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool hearing your story about this, hearing your story about your story. And yeah. like you said, freeing. And now you have the chance to spread your wings and share even more stories. Maybe they're historical and dive into presidential kind of trivia, or maybe they they could be about anything. And that's the really cool part. You have no set like limits to what you can write about. All the world's a stage for you right now. (laughs) I like the way you're putting that, man. You know, it's, uh, yeah. In fact, one of the first questions that I got when I, uh, on my publication date is, you know, why, why just the white house? Why not, you know, kids of other leaders around the world? And and it's a good question, you know, but there is something about writing about what you know. That's true. So, you know, what, I can't give you the details of some table in, uh, you know, Buckingham Palace or something like that. It's, as cool as it would be to, you know, write about uh, the kids of kings and queens. Um, it, but uh, there's a whole lot of stuff involving American history that I am going to be diving into. Um, yeah. Uh, so if I can give you a little hint, um, I just spent uh, the, the weekend we visited Fort McHenry up in Baltimore. Um, and we were walking around there and taking a look at you know, the big 15 star flag that, 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 that waves over it, that uh, it inspired a you know, particular song that you might know, the Star Spangled Banner. So yeah. There's a whole lot of stories out there that, uh, that we're looking forward to digging into. Yeah. You got 300 years worth of stories. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. A lot of interesting kids that have walked through those, uh, those White House walls too. Absolutely. And what's super cool is that there's so many stories you could share and like people, when it comes to American history, people don't have to all write the same stories because there's just so much to tell. 100%. 100%. And the thing is, what's crazy is that you can have different people tell exactly the same story about American history, and it will come out completely different. That's true. And yeah. they could both be telling the truth. That's <laughs> the really mind-blowing thing. Right? Is history is this complicated thing. And, you know, it gets... We keep visiting things back and just like saying, okay, well, you know, maybe we should take a look at it from this person's perspective. Maybe what, you know, maybe we have a a couple things to, to, you know, rethink. And I think museums are really doing a good job of this now. Um, You know, and, and I think there's a lot of great books out there uh, as well. In the end, it's up to the readers just kind of make their own decisions. Right. You know, is this something that I'm enjoying? Do I want to dive in? 
what I write is fiction, right? I want to be clear about that stuff. There's, there's, you know, things that I'm straight up making up in these books, <laughs> but if it inspires you to kind of go and learn a little bit more about these things, you know, so if you're out in California and you get a chance to go and hike the Mariposa Grove in Yosemite National Park, maybe you'll see the same trees that we're talking about here within this book, the ones that inspired, you know, things. And, you know, the the giant sequoias and the coastal redwoods and all of these things that Teddy Roosevelt really did visit over 100 years ago. Um, and then people have been visiting ever since, uh, partially because of what he did to help save it. Yeah. And I, Teddy Roosevelt's hero, but you sharing his story and shining a light on sequoia trees. I mean, because the work that writers do can also inspire just as much as a political leader can. Oh, big time. Absolutely right. Yeah, because a lot of the speeches, they go out to adults, but kids mm-hmm. are the next generation. And when you write middle grade, you can definitely inspire. That's the hope. Yeah. 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 So my final question of the interview is one that I've never asked anybody before, though it is quite similar to the ones that I typically ask. So okay. if you could be or meet any figure in history, they could be a political figure. They could be anybody, really. Who would it be and why? It's a really good question, Adrian. Um, I would really love to meet Teddy Roosevelt, I gotta say. Like, because, you know, he, uh, not only was he so intensely involved in things, uh, but also he had such a boundless interest. Yeah. Uh, it, I feel like if I could go, what he used to do is, you know, anybody who ever wanted to have a meeting with him, he would make them get on a horse and ride through Rock Creek Park in, in Washington really quickly and, and chase after him to ask him questions. I think that would be cool. Uh, even though that I can't, cool. I would have to learn it real quick. Um, but, uh, you know, he had this boundless interest and enthusiasm for all sorts of different things, whether it was from sailing ships in the War of 1812 or birds in, you know, uh the the upper sierras and all these different things um and you know in the end uh, he grew up in a brownstone in manhattan just like me i would love to just kind of connect with the real person uh and and talk with him a little bit um but i think what i'd probably find is you know one of the neat things that i have learned from being able to kind of write at the level that i have you know yeah writing speeches for Joe Biden, being an assistant, you know, for, for Barack Obama. I didn't really work closely with him, but I, but I met him several times, all these different things is you really do learn. That these are just real people, real people with their own sort of, you know, like, yeah, things. And, and, you know, they, they get thirsty, they get hungry, they get tired. Uh, and, and I would love to be able to kind of see that side of, you know, these major historical figures out there uh and just kind of learn what gives them this boundless courage really uh to to dive in like i'd love to meet frederick Douglass. i'd love to meet harriet tubman you know all these folks from history so i don't know but next best thing is to read about them that's for sure <laughs> that is definitely for sure and that is such a great answer it could and it's also i know it's a tough question because there's so many people you could say you could say somebody who worked to create peace in the world somebody maybe like gandhi absolutely and then you could say another like in american history you could literally say anybody there's like millions of people that you could say so it's a tough it's a tough question and no no shame in like saying 
different answers because there's so many. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who 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 would you want to go visit? Let me let me spin the interviewer for a second. The interviewee is interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, yeah. If, I, if I could meet anybody, it would probably be... I mean, I'm young, so I feel like the more recent stuff is kind of in my mind, like more recent presidents, more recent people in history. Sure. Maybe somebody like... Uh, I'm supposed to, I asked the question, I should know my answer, like, I should be ready for this, but I'm never ready for this. Uh, no, I think that's great. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think what, you, what you're doing now is you're getting a chance to, like, you're making it happen to, that, that you get to talk with the people that you're interested in. That, that's yeah. so amazing. And, and I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of what you do with this thing. But then also how you use your platform and your voice. I've been, I've been watching, you know, kind of what you, uh, you know, on your Instagram side, it's just tremendous. Um, and you're you're inspiring other people to just kind of reach out and and do what they can. So, uh, you know, you're inspiring me to get off my butt and do stuff. So <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. So I think um, they're definitely like somebody like you mentioned, like Obama, definitely Harriet Tubman. Sure. Uh, yeah. If you like talk more about books than Rick Riordan, who wrote the Percy Jackson books. That'd oh, be yeah, fun. absolutely. Yeah. There are so many people you could say. And that's just what's really cool about history, because. It's history, you know? There's thousands of years that you could go back and say. 100%. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I, I love Rick Riordan's work. Actually, I got to see him in uh, in Chicago from well, a distance. So cool. Didn't meet him, but I saw him <laughs> yeah. up on the stage. And, yeah. And it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got a story to tell, whether yep. you're an author or a historical figure. Absolutely right. Yep. And that's all the time that we have today, unfortunately. This has been a super duper interesting interview. I've learned so much and I'm sure everybody listening has learned a lot as well. So, hey, yeah. I learned from you, my friend. And, you know, Thank keep you. it up. Absolutely keep it up. Yeah. And everybody, I've just got to say that I, for one, am so glad that you, Sean, decided to write kids books, write middle grade stories, and I hope that you can that you will continue. And I cannot wait to see what you write next. And I cannot wait to read what you write next. <laughs> so, without a doubt, I'm sure everyone tuning in is going to be going straight to any their local bookstores or anywhere books are sold, and they're gonna get their hands on a copy of White House Clubhouse. And they're you're gonna love it, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> so, round of applause for Sean, everybody. This has been an awesome interview. And stay safe. Keep on reading and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.